0: We all need a shot of encouragement to keep us going. A new beginning with Greg Laurie is sure to help in your journey of faith. Hear it twice daily. Details at vision.org.au
1: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision.
2: As military tensions on the Korean Peninsula escalated over the weekend, defense experts are saying that Pyongyang, could have the ability to strike Australia with an intercontinental ballistic missile within three years. So how do you feel about the threat of nuclear attack on Australia? Well, Foreign Minister Julie Bishop, she's delivered a blistering rebuke to North Korea after it threatened a nuclear strike against us for blindly and zealously towing the US line. Well, Miss Bishop says the regime should spend money on its citizens, not on weapons. Let's talk about North Korea today and specifically a focus in on what makes North Korea tick something of the spiritual history of North Korea, perhaps a conversation you might not hear anywhere else and one you can contribute to today on 1-800-316-316. Elizabeth Kendall is joining us. She's been working as an international religious liberty analyst and advocate since 1998. She served as the principal researcher and writer for the World Evangelical Alliance Religious Liberty Commission for seven years. These days, she works in independently independently. She's also an adjunct research fellow in the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at the Melbourne School of Theology, and is Director of Advocacy at Canberra-based Christian Faith and Freedom. She's the author of two books. Her latest one is called After Saturday Comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East, and always appreciate the insights that Elizabeth Kendall brings to issues like what we'll talk about today, North Korea. Elizabeth Kendall, welcome back to 2020.
0: Good morning, Neil.
2: Well, Elizabeth, uh, this is a timely conversation today because so many people will be waking up recognising that over the weekend, uh, perhaps for the first time ever, there is a direct nuclear threat against Australia and it's coming from North Korea. How did you feel when that sort of news broke for you?
0: Yes, it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? You know, we've been very used, I think, in Australia to this, uh, what is almost a blessing, our tyranny of distance. You know, so far away from so many of the troubles of the world, it's turned into a real blessing, actually, our distance in these troubled days. But, yeah, that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable when you think that, um, you know, North Korea could actually be, you know, Capable of sending you know some pretty serious intercontinental ballistic missiles our way just to just to make a point, so yeah, it does make you feel a little bit a uh, little bit wary and
2: as an Australian and as a Christian, there's a sense that I sort of began to feel as though. It's like, welcome to the real world. I mean, as you and I have had so many conversations about so many nations around the world that are under threat, persecution of Christian believers under threat, wars raging one nation against another, and as you say, this uh, distance that we have in Australia uh, sort of separates us a little bit, but, but it really is like, welcome to the real world, this is what people are putting up with every day.
0: Yeah, that, that's exactly how I felt. I uh, welcome to the real world. You know, you often, I've often thought, you know, uh, what would it be like to be in conflict? You know, we just take our peace and our tranquility here so much for granted, as, as if this is just absolutely normal and natural. But for much of the world, it's absolutely not normal. It's something people really do crave, and. Um, Yeah, we've taken it for granted so much, I think.
2: And we might think uh, common sense would say, you don't just rain down uh, atomic weapons or any sort of weapons uh, on a near neighbour and perhaps someone so removed that, uh, you know, we're not involved with day-to-day politics in North Korea. Uh, But common sense is not common sense uh, for a lot of people uh, the way we might think of it
0: the situation with north korea is uh it's not entirely clear it's really difficult to know what's going in, on inside the heads of the regime completely like it's not really just one man it's a it's a really uh very large regime and military machine and um you know the fact of the matter is if north korea sent out a missile You know, to hit Australia, to hit Tokyo or Seoul, or uh, the the American ship that's you know steaming towards North Korea at the moment, they'd they'd be on the receiving end of a of a absolute hail hail hailstorm of missiles coming back. You know, it could be it could obliterate Pyongyang. So. It really would be a suicidal thing to do. It's very, the fact of the matter is these weapons, and it's the same with um, with Iran, and North Korea and Iran are very, very close allies. Um, they're almost in, inseparable uh, in the way they work together. But uh, their their weapons are a self-defense thing. They're, they have their weapons in order to prevent anyone from attempting regime change or for, from attempting a foreign intervention in the country. You know, they look at Iraq and they say, well, look what happened to Saddam because he didn't have weapons. And then they look at Libya and they say, look at what happened to Gaddafi when he gave up his weapons and trusted the West and became part of the war on terror. You know, they, the West stabbed him in the back and he, he was killed. And if he didn't give up his weapons, they wouldn't have done that. So they the weapons are very much a self-defense thing and so i think if the i think the government the north koreans would not use them because they are not suicidal they would not use them unless they were absolutely convinced that the government was going to fall that the regime was going to fall that it was all over and then i think then i think we'd really be worried but um whether they whether they'd fire on Whether they'd fire on someone without that being the case, I'm really not sure. But it's still a very uncomfortable situation for us to find ourselves in.
2: And, of course, what comes out of the political leadership in North Korea for their own people is always this show of strength. Uh, It's always this uh, element of all of our enemies have their missiles aimed against us. Uh, there's the sort of uh, what? Are, what are your feelings about the way uh, that the regime operates politically with its own people?
0: Yes. Well, once again, that's all about regime survival. The country is so backward and so impoverished that uh, if, if they if they let any little cracks appear in the armor or, or in, that, in the dome that sort of keeps the place like a remaining in its like a hermit state if the people really get to see what life is like on the on the outside world then there could be a real uprising that that they can't control um so they keep everything very very dark it's completely illegal to um to have any sort of device that can pick up um radio stations or televisions or anything from from outside north korea um dvds and things like that from south korea uh they're all, they're banned um, they've even been able to get devices uh, from China which detect mobile phone signals so that as soon as someone uh, tries to make a mobile phone, phone call, um, the police can be on top of them in, in an absolute instant. Um, all these sorts of things to keep everyone in the dark about the reality of life in the world outside. You know, Kim knows what life The Kims know what life is like on the outside world. Kim Jong-un was educated in Switzerland. That's where he got his love of computer games and basketball, from being in Switzerland and from watching, you know, American basketball while he was there. So he knows what the world's like on the outside. But um, most people don't. Most North Koreans, they have been born and raised in this thick, suffocating propaganda Uh, That's all about uh, sustaining the regime, uh, keeping things the way they... It's all about keeping the regime in power. Well,
2: let's talk about the spiritual history because uh, in the lead-up to our conversation uh, earlier this morning, I've been talking about the idea of revival a 100 years ago Mm. in North Korea uh, to a point where you've got cult dictatorship today. Uh, What's this issue of revival a hundred years ago in north korea
0: well it's one of the great revivals one of the great transformative revivals of the 20th century um this it goes dates back to uh, 1907 so right at the beginning of the 20th century and and at the time there was a lot of conflict uh, with the japanese and there was a lot of deep hostility In Korea, this, and of course the Korean Peninsula was just one Korean nation at this time, and Pyongyang was the capital of the Korean nation. But there was a lot of anti-Japanese hostility, and there was a lot of fear, and the Pyongyang Bible class was held, and this was a, this was a, an annual event, it was something that, that the, uh, missionaries Uh, ran with the korean leadership they would bring everyone all the christian leaders together so sunday school teachers pastors missionaries would all come together in pyongyang for like a week or so of solid really solid bible teaching you know like a really great convention that was all bible teaching and prayer and they had uh you know more than a thousand uh christian leaders there but the 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 organisers realised that there was a lot of um, negative emotion. There was a lot of fear, a lot of anti-Japanese sentiment, a lot of unpleasantness sort of percolating in the background. And they really saturated the thing in prayer. And you know, lo and behold, on the night of uh, Monday, the eighth of January, nineteen oh seven, the Holy Spirit descended on the meeting in in uh, power, just like some of these great revivals you read about in in America and in Wales uh, of the from the nineteenth century. And there was this outpouring of prayer. And people were praying and the missionaries uh, say, and you can read, you can read about all this. There's a wonderful book called the Korean Pentecost, which has it uh, all described. And the missionaries say it wasn't chaotic at all. It was like something like a symphony being played, but everyone was praying and they were weeping over their sin. They were confessing their sin. They were repenting before one another and seeking forgiveness. And this went on right through the next day, and then after the, the, uh, some, the, uh, winter Bible class, it went on and spread right through the country, transformed the whole Korean peninsula. And, uh, so it's gone down in history of one of the great transformative Holy Spirit revivals of the 20th century.
2: And of course at that time there was no division between North and South Korea and right. uh, and I imagine that what happened in South Korea is connected to this same revival because uh, what revival continued we see in the expression of Christianity in South Korea but something went dramatically wrong in the North.
0: Well that's right. In fact even before the division of uh, of the Korean Peninsula um, only a couple of years after this great revival. So the revival was in 1907, but then in 1910, the Japanese annexed uh, the Korean Peninsula and they colonized, they came in as foreign occupiers and it was a terrible, terrible time of serious persecution. So I don't know if you've seen the the uh, Martin Scorsese film that came out Uh, earlier this year or late last year it might have been um, silence about the persecution of the church in Japan in the um... (gasps) I didn't see the
2: movie personally but certainly heard about it and we were talking about it on 2020 with uh, one of our movie reviewers but yes that's that uh, illustrated the sort of persecution we're talking about here
0: exactly so that that if you see that film silence you'll see how the japanese persecuted the japanese christians and the and the catholic missionaries that were there and the the koreans when they came under japanese occupation because it was shinto nationalist this was just on the you know coming up into the decades before world war 2 and and japan is a shinto nationalist uh imperial power that uh, you know they were they were under the impression that their that their uh, emperor was a direct descendant of the sun god, and that they should bring everybody under the rule of their emperor because he was this divine character. You see, so the same this terrible persecution was uh, was unleashed on the Koreans, and one thing that it did do though was uh, during those terrible, terrible decades up to World War II from uh, 1910 right through into the Second World War, uh, Korean Christianity became synonymous with Korean nationalism. So you had this... The church was really sort of born in that revival in 1907 and then through this terrible time of foreign occupation and persecution, the church actually led an independence movement and suffered terribly for it. You know, the, the the preacher, the pastors that were the leaders of this independence movement, uh, they were hoping the West would would give them support and back them, but the West didn't. Um, and they were they were imprisoned, they were tortured, some were tortured to death, and they were executed. And um, the church had to really go underground. But it, cr- cr- I think that is when Korean Christianity was born. Like. Yeah, korean christianity became synonymous with korean nationalism and then it was uh, after world war during world war II, that the korean peninsula came to be divided
1: we
2: are taking calls one 316 316 let's hear from mary ann in logan lee in queensland hello mary ann thanks for welcoming uh, thanks for waiting uh, patiently That's All right. what are your thoughts mary ann
3: well you'll be surprised when i tell you that my mother was an English lady and my father was a Lithuanian-slash-German officer. And I was the peace baby they made for the Second World War. Oh, goodness. Okay. Now, that is true. That is absolutely true. And um, what happened was, some about, um, about uh, forget how many years ago, about. Ten years ago, I started praying for North Korea from OMS. They have mm. a booklet. Every day of the month, you pray for North Korea. Mm. And then I started supporting the poor little children with money for a bread roll every day.
2: A bread that roll every day. I comes out of my
3: pension mm. every mm. Monday. $50 for Bedrolls for North Korean children. And God has not forgotten that. And I tell you what I did before Easter. I sent to the leader of the North Korean um, person um, a beautiful Easter card. It had a brown cross and it had lovely words. And I put, God so loved. Oong, whatever his name is.
2: Uh, Kim Jong-un,
3: sent yep. His only begotten son, that all who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn Ung, but that he would be saved.
2: Marianne, you are an inspiration, and uh, who would have thought to write an Easter card and send it to Kim Jong-un? Uh, your response, Elizabeth Kendall?
0: Oh, thank you so much for ringing in, Marianne, and thank you for your faithfulness for over such a long period of time. And uh, uh God will bless you for that, I'm sure. And I know that OMF has done some magnificent work and is still doing magnificent work today. Uh, both in the area of prayer for North Korea and practical uh, support for North Korean Christians. So they're a wonderful organization to be in contact with. Thank you for calling in, mary
1: Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. We're talking North Korea today. Elizabeth Kendall,
2: Religious Liberty Analyst, is our guest. You can contribute to our conversation on 1-800-316-316. Elizabeth, we've been talking about North Korea, uh, a wonderful revival, a Christian revival, 1907, uh, the challenges that Japanese occupation brought to the Korean Peninsula, uh, dreadful persecution of the Koreans under the Japanese. Uh, let's talk about when the uh, peninsula was divided north and south. Uh, what's your understanding of that history?
0: Well, the division of the, of the Korean Peninsula essentially happened uh, during World War II. Uh, the Japanese were were driven out, and the Soviets came into the north and the Americans came into the south. So it was very similar to the situation in, say, Vietnam for for example, where you have the Soviets the Communists in the north and the and the Americans in the South. So what happened then is there was this sort of de facto di- di- dividing line at the thirty eighth parallel where where it was understood that the Soviets would get, would rule the north and the and the Americans would rule the south. But then, at the end of the war in uh, 1950, I think it was 1950. The um, the North, yes, on the 25th of June, in fact, 1950, the communist North invaded the South. So that it was the desire of the communist North, where this was the the Soviet backed uh, regime of Kim Il Sung, the, the, who they call the founding father of, of North Korea. He was a, a sort of a, a Soviet puppet, really. They decided they were going to reunify the whole Korean Peninsula and bring it all under uh, Soviet-backed North Korean rule. So the North invaded the South, and it was terrible. And the Americans came in and they helped. They actually helped fight the the communist forces pretty well all the way back to the Chinese border. And then China came in. And, uh, drove them back to the 38th parallel. So the, the, the peninsula completely transformed twice. The Soviets came all the way down to the, down to the south coast. The Americans went all the way up to the Korean, to the Chinese border. And then China, uh, pushed the Americans back to the 38th parallel. And then there was a ceasefire. And that's really key to everything. In fact, it's at the root of all our problems. There was not a peace. There's never been a peace treaty. So there was a ceasefire. The guns fell silent, but the war never actually ended. So, the, And there's been a lot of sort of talk still has percolated amongst uh, various members of the northern uh, regime, the northern elite, on this desire to reunify the peninsula, but what they mean is under under the rule of the north. So uh, they really can't do that. Uh, the S- South Korea is uh, too strong for that, and they've got American support, but that's often been at the back, and that's why I say it's it's a very difficult... Situation to read because part of me says, you know, if we could just, if if we could just, uh, almost, almost guarantee regime survival, in exchange for letting the regime uh, improve the lot of their people uh maybe things would be better but we really don't know what the intention of the regime is if they really do still have an intention to take over the whole peninsula so they need to have a peace they, the the situation needs to be resolved um yes yeah, so, but when the border closed in 1953 uh that's when things got Really, really serious for the for the church in the north. I mean, it had been terrible under the Japanese, but under the the Kim family, it was it was even worse. Uh, basically, they it, the Christian community essentially disappeared in a very short space of time.
2: So great oppression came upon the Christians uh, with the division north to south, and uh, the interesting contrast there, of course, is that. Uh, some of the biggest churches in the world. I'm thinking of uh, mm. of uh, the church under uh, Yi Cho, Long-Tho. and of course mm. the Presbyterians. Uh, these are churches that are mind bogglingly huge, uh, and uh, they would be, I imagine, uh, rooted in the uh, in the freedom of religion that came upon the South, but of course the North came under that dreadful oppression.
0: Well, that's right, and I mean, if you want to look at the difference that religious freedom makes, just have a look at the Korean Peninsula. Um, you, you know, you've got, you know, you've got, as as you just said, the biggest churches in the world exist in Seoul, and they are the fruit of that of the of the uh, revival in Pyongyang back in 1917. You know, Pyongyang used to be known as the Jerusalem of the East. <laughs> Back at the time of the revival, the revival made it the Jerusalem of the East. And then within just a couple of years, they were under Japanese occupation. So it's been a long, long period of suffering. And an estimated two and a half thousand churches disappeared from the north when the border was closed. Uh, Within a short space of time, the Kim family just got rid of them. And people uh, fled that could. They fled. Others went underground. Others were killed. And it's been that way pretty much ever since.
2: And these days to be a Christian in North Korea is not impossible, but it is the fact that you've got to be secretive about your faith. And the numbers uh, these days estimated somewhere between three and five hundred thousand. Is that uh, the sort of numbers you're understanding, Elizabeth?
0: Yes. Now, they're the numbers from Open Doors. And I think, I don't know if, I were, if um, OMF has different figures, but I think the Open Doors figures would be pretty good. I think they'd be pretty uh, tapped into what's going on. And uh, so, I mean, I actually think that that's quite amazing that they would even have, have that many. But, um, yeah, so it's so serious that the church is profoundly, deeply underground. Uh, if you're found with a Bible in North Korea, you'll be executed. Uh, you'll be taken out into the middle of your village, tied to a pole. Everyone will be told to come and watch what happens to people who betray the regime by becoming Christians. And you'll be shot through the head in front of your family and everybody as, as sending a message. Once, you're, once you've been shot, all your extended family... So your children, your siblings, the siblings, the siblings, uh, your parents, your grandparents, if they're still alive, the whole family will be sent to a concentration camp to get the uh, polluted seed out of the society.
2: Elizabeth, we'll cut in here because mm-hmm. we're about to go to news, but we'll come back after news and we'll discuss why uh, that is the case. Yes. Uh, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Elizabeth Kendall, our guest. We're back with more After Vision National News. Elizabeth Kendall is our guest, International Religious Liberty Analyst. She's the author of two books, one called Turn Back the Battle, Isaiah Speaks to Christians Today, and another book, her latest book, the book called After Saturday Comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East. And as we talk about all sorts of different contexts around the world, always appreciate the insights of Elizabeth Kendall. Elizabeth, as we come back to what you were saying just before the the news. Uh, If people in North Korea are caught with a Bible, they are likely to face a public execution. Then Mm -hmm. their family uh, thrown into what is akin to a concentration camp. What is so significant about being caught with a Bible? What's the power of the Bible that the North Korean regime is so concerned about?
0: Well, you know, Christianity is often linked to uh, westernization which and to western nations which are viewed as the enemy especially uh, america it's also links the churches into its history uh it, it's pre uh kim family history it also links the ch- links the church in north korea or people in north korea to people in the south so all those who are an imminent threat to the regime and of course the, you know the gospel is a is a threat to everyone who is uh, corrupt and cruel um, uh, you know it's hated by everyone who is corrupt and cruel and criminal and that's sort of pretty well describes the regime so it's a threat at so many levels they just can't tolerate it so to be a christian is to is an act of defiance The so what the regime follows uh, uh, an ideology that it has sort of invented uh, called juche, which means self reliance, and part of this whole uh ideology is it's an almost worship of the Kim family almost as if they are divine now you might have you may or may not remember seeing images of uh Korean athletes that had uh, come out of the country to be involved in um sport. Uh, uh, I think, I can't remember when it was, it was, might have been at the Sydney Olympics, I think. And, and someone had put up a, a bit of anti, anti Kim propaganda somewhere and they wept, they got out of the bus and they wept and they took it down and they cried. And there have been people in North Korea who have given up their lives, they have died just trying to save, uh, portraits and images of the, of, Kim Jong Il or Kim Jong so you know uh the uh, Kim Jong Un and they've died and then they've been lionized as, as heroes and martyrs for giving up their lives to save a painting a portrait um so there's a sense that they're essentially worshiped and, and really that's that's just basic. So you go against that, you're really an enemy of the state, and the, the entire family will will be uh, will be incarcerated for that crime.
2: Uh, the thought that comes to mind, of course, is this word brainwashing, and mm. this would be the alignment with a cult. And uh, you talk about that concept of duce. Uh, the idea of worshipping the royal family in that sense, uh, mm. this sort of brainwashing idea. I mean, sometimes, this is the interesting thing, Elizabeth Kendall, uh, that sometimes here in Australia people will think that going to church and uh, having exposure to the Bible, in fact, uh, causes brainwashing. Uh, but I suppose the, the outcomes of what happens, of what you're exposed to, what you believe, uh, actually uh, are very, very different. And uh, and the Bible has a certain outcome, but if you go a, a different other way, there's all sorts of other uh, things that uh, that can be very detrimental to a whole nation.
0: Well, that's right, and and the uh, the punishment for being a Christian in North Korea is just incredibly severe. The conditions in their labor camps are horrendous, and lots of people just simply don't survive. They they are starved to death. They are worked to death. And, you know, this This is where we get back right down to the nitty-gritty of the fact that what you believe actually has an impact on how you behave. You know, a person's worldview impacts how they behave, how they treat their neighbor. If you have a worldview that has a very high value of human beings, uh, that sees human life as sacred because human life is created by God, uh in the image of God, uh, for relationship with God, then you have a high view of how human beings are to be treated. Especially if you believe that you are going to be held to account to that God, the God of creation. An atheistic worldview does not have those constraints on it. Um and so whoever's at the top of the tree, you know, whoever's the, the King Pin gets to make the rules. And uh basically Kim can be God. <laughs> So the worldview, what you believe, has a really, really big impact. People don't seem to realize this. I had this conversation over Easter with a with a friend who basically said, well, what does it matter? You know, the whole Easter story, what does it matter? As if it just doesn't matter. As if everything that we have, and we had a wonderful conversation, I might add, as if everything we have in this country is just taken for granted. But the fact of the matter is, Our culture is rooted in and is an outworking of a Christian worldview and the view that human life is sacred and the teachings of Jesus who said, love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's what has created the culture in which we live and that's what makes our culture different to an Islamic culture or an atheistic culture. It really, really matters what you believe.
2: And there are some simple things which are absolutely profound, and uh, that's what you're describing. Uh, let me ask you, as we look at North Korea now, uh, the idea of uh, setting up you know, further sanctions uh, from Australia and from other nations around the world towards North Korea, and uh, the idea that uh, as our government is calling on China... To step up pressure on the rogue nation. I mean, because they have this uh, relationship to China and China has an ability to speak into those things that are happening there. Uh, you have this uh, atheistic uh, idea of, uh, of just because you're friends, you can speak into. Uh, the idea of regime change is obviously in the minds of the Americans. Uh, but what are your thoughts about Who's influencing who and what outcomes might happen as a result of those influences, Elizabeth Kendall?
0: Oh boys, I ask such big questions. You know, when I was doing the the prayer bulletin the other day on North Korea, you know, I ended up thinking, I just don't know how to pray. You know, how do you pray for this when you can't? You can't. You got to the point you cannot. You can barely see a way out of it. You know, over the years, I have tried to maintain a really positive view. There have been many positive signs. In fact, I've got in front of me at the moment a prayer bulletin I wrote on North Korea in October 2014. Uh, North and South Korea had resumed talks and it was the highest level delegation of north korean uh, generals and senior officials basically uh, kim jong un wasn't there but pretty well everyone in the highest echelons under him was there and there's a photograph there of the the north on the north korean guys are on one side of the table and the south korean guys on the other side of the table And they're all leaning in and shaking hands. And the look on their faces, I tell you, it on both sides of the table, it looks like they could really love each other and want to be together in a way that's not belligerent. Like there have been many times during the course of my monitoring of this situation over the last, you know, 15 to 20 years, that I've thought, well, you know, surely they can fix this. I, I. and uh, and sometimes you just end up thinking, but I just don't know how. You know, sometimes the longer something goes on, the more messy it gets and the more the, the, the weapons get built up. Um, and uh, you sort of get to a point where you think, is there a step back from here? <laughs> how, how do you get back from this place? And so with my last prayer bullet, and I just had to, had to say, you know, we just have to put this situation in God's hands and and pray that he will surprise us with something we can't, that's beyond even what we could ask or even imagine because it's a really, really difficult situation. And, um, you know, as I look at this photograph, I think wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just step back from the brink and they really could find a way to to make this work because, um, I think the worst thing that could happen from my own personal understanding, and from my own imagination, I guess would be that the bombs start falling. that just would be terrible. I think we would see a um an, a, the situation could be apocalyptic if the if the bombs start falling, and you know, I also think of the church you know, you've got this church that has survived a hundred years of suffering in the north. I don't want to see bombs raining down on North Korea. There's got to be another way. They've got to be able to work it out, surely.
2: And as you say, a miracle may be necessary, a new way that people have not been discussing because as Mm -hmm. it looks at the moment uh, and uh, quoting uh, one report, uh, inching close to the brink of war in an evil cycle of increasing tensions... And uh, with China being invited into the diplomatic process, uh, the idea is there that there'll be a few months, a few months to see some sort of results. And, of course, the results that the Americans appear to be looking for is that there's a stepping down from all of this nuclear armament uh, and and basically the, the regime uh, coming into line. And they don't appear likely to do that. Uh, really, there is going to be uh, increasing tension here and and as you say elizabeth kendall uh the the break point may actually be nuclear war
0: yes well i'm just praying that god will will just do something amazing and you know so, so often i find myself trying to imagine what that might look like and uh you know it's so bizarre that That you wonder if it's reasonable, but I just keep praying that God will do something. I'm sort of what I'm really hoping for is that things will get right to the brink, and then people will finally realise we can't go here; we have to do something else. And I don't mean just the Kims either. I also mean the Americans. Yeah, I, I worry. I really worry that the Americans are very keen to do some bombing you know and, and i can remember years and years back writing uh, on north korea and they were talking about opening the train line between north and south there was there were really big things happening there was the uh, the, the trade uh, trade had increased between north and south there were a couple of economic zones where south koreans were working in north korea and the north koreans got jobs working in these Basically, South Korean factories that established were able to get established in North Korea, and it was creating all this intermingling. Then they decided they'd open the train line so people could travel backwards and forwards, and there could be more family reunions. And, you know, I was so excited about this, and at the same time, I was reading stuff from American, even Christian American material. Uh, basically saying, no, we've got to you know, basically go in there and bomb the regime out off the planet. And, and I think, no, no that's not going to do it. <laughs> that's just not going to do it. One of my favorite quotes of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Russian dissident who spent years in the gulag, he wrote uh, in um, about 1998, so when everything was falling apart, he wrote, um, the only people who want revolution are those who have never experienced it. He said, it's terrible. You don't want it. And he said, we don't want it now either. We want things to change, but we do not want the whole edifice falling down on our heads. And I look at North Korea like that and I think, well, you know, there have been some really positive steps in the past with the with the economic zones, with the reunions, with the communications. Sometimes I think maybe everybody else has just got to step back a bit and let the north and south koreans work it out together maybe they maybe in god's wisdom god will say look we need they need to get pushed to the brink before they realize the degree to which compromise is important i don't think i don't think that's going to mean regime change if if, if people demand regime change they'll take it they'll take the country to war and i think there needs to be a lot more creative thinking and that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying that God will will just speak into people's hearts and minds and, um, as I said, not just the Kims, but the, the Americans as well.
1: This is 2020 with Neil Johnson. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Elizabeth Kendall is
2: our guest. Uh, she's an international religious liberty analyst. We are talking about North Korea. Uh, you can still be involved in our conversation on one 316 316. Uh, we have a caller. Solomon is in Sydney. Hello, Solomon. Welcome along.
4: Yeah, g'day, Neil. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, always riveting, uh, listening to you and Neil talk about things that are happening around the world. But uh, uh, I've got a, uh, uh, a sense that uh, uh, the, the Lord seems to be uh, diverting our prayer thrust and intercessory pr- uh, prayer thrust uh, for North Korea. Uh, uh, I follow what uh, what uh, the prophetics and uh, uh, particularly a uh, man on the ground in Japan right now, since you alerted about Japan, which uh, I believe is where the Lord has uh, the the root of the, uh, the problems that God's been focusing on about Japan. And I, uh, I shared in our church yesterday, uh, in our intercessory prayer uh, times, mm-hmm. that uh, to have North Korea and South Korea be reunited or see a form of uh, transitions from their division is to uh, uh, awaken Japan. Oh, and, wouldn't that uh, be amazing? Yes, and, and the man on the ground I'm referring to is uh, uh, Pastor Henry Groover, the prayer walker, who has been walking Japan, and I believe is going to be finishing the whole Japanese islands, cities, towns, and streets of, of the whole of Japan. And he has encountered some really, really deep... Uh, 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 powers of the enemies mm. that, have, that have been responsible for the past, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the past uh, uh, problems of Japan itself and the fact that be- Japan became a very warrior-like against God and against uh, 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 what God wanted to do on earth. And so I, I'm believing and praying yeah. that uh, uh, Japan will be involved uh, for the reunification of the North and the South since they're the ones that started the whole... Solomon, the whole thing. good
2: thoughts there. A response from you, Elizabeth Kendall?
0: Well, that's really, really interesting that you say that because I'm very interested in, in Japan. Japan has such deep problems, deep spiritual problems, and yet it's like being it's like being chronically ill and refusing to take the medicine, you know. it's You read about the problems of Japan, they have... Uh, Deep relationship problems uh, something like seventy percent of all their so people in their early twenties um, who are single are not in relationships um, a, a large proportion of even married couples do not have sexual relationships and are not having children and this, and the country is going into a deep deep demographic decline. You might have seen programs on the television about uh, you know Japanese. People, you know, getting dolls or um, or robots to keep them company because they're now so lonely. There's deep, deep problems in Japan, and to be honest, I, I really think that one day, you know, Korea is going to be like a shining light to the whole world. They're going to see what a difference Jesus makes and um the the and I you know i imagine that that will be amazing it will speak into japan i mean any japanese person who sees north korea uh as a free country and the gospel take take root back there again i think you couldn't escape the uh the truth of the gospel in that and i think i think the gospel is the only hope for japan and i think this is such an amazing culture, and uh, it would be—it's tragic to see it suffering and really in the grip of the evil one. So uh, the idea that um, that uh, Japan could be transformed by the transformation of North Korea is, is a really exciting, exciting thought. The the, prayer, the the passage that constantly comes to me in my heart when I'm. Praying for North Korea, and I regularly feature it in my prayer bulletins for North Korea, is Psalm 24, lift, because I'm thinking of the demilitarized zone, and you see, and all the gates and the barbed wire and the fences. And I think of Psalm 24, lift up your heads, all ye gates, be lifted up, you everlasting, angels, that the King of glory shall come in. And I'm sure, you know, the King of glory is, is at the gate and um, the day will come When things will change, and and that I don't know how it's going to have to, God is going to have to surprise us. I'm convinced about that. It's just so complicated, but I think we need to keep bringing it to Him. And um, the thought that Japan could be so wonderfully blessed through that would be like like two for one it's awesome (laughs) thank you for sharing that very much solomon
2: thank you to solomon from sydney and we have run out of time Mm. and the encouragement elizabeth kendall very quickly is to be on your knees in prayer because we are now in one Mm. sense a part of the conflict because there is a threat to australia Uh, your encouragement to aussies uh, very quickly to be in prayer about this situation
0: Absolutely. And, you know, when you think about the revival, the Korean Pentecost, as it's known, of 1907, it was prayer that brought that revival to being and transformed the peninsula. So I'm really calling that for churches to pray again that the Korean Peninsula will be transformed again by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Um, and and I really believe in the power of prayer and the power of God to do this.
2: Elizabeth Kendall, always so good getting your insights. Uh, I'll point people to uh, the two books that you've written, one called Turn Back the Battle. Isaiah speaks to Christians today and also your book After Saturday Comes Sunday Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East people can get a hold of those books uh, through elizabethkendall.com that's the website that uh, you can have access to to Elizabeth's prayer bulletin as well but elizabethkendall.com Elizabeth is also Adjunct Research Fellow in the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at the Melbourne School of Theology and is the Director of Adjuncts Advocacy at Canberra-based Christian Faith and Freedom. Uh, That website, elizabethkendall.com. Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing your heart and your understanding of these issues with us today on 2020. We always appreciate your insights.
0: And thanks for the opportunity, Neil.
1: Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported.